Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcasts, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Mental Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found. Welcome to Rabbit and Red Radio. I'm your host... Oh, shit. Usually there's another half. Well, anyway, I am John Spooky Rhodes. Um, usually I have a uh, madman along with me, but he's not here in the studio. Um, shit. Uh, well... Okay, I always have our trusty Ouija board here. Um... Let me let me let me sit down with this and uh, see um, what I can uh, what I can uh, summon up here. Maybe maybe I can summon us up a co-host. So um, let's 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 see here. Uh, spirits, is there anybody with us? Uh, looks like we have some activity. Spirits, do you have a name? 
Z-O-Z-O. Zozo. That's weird. So, Zozo, can you speak? Because that, if I'm correct, is a demon's name. Zozo, are you still with us? Who has summoned the mighty Zozo? Oh, hey, John. Hey. Alright. If you didn't get the little joke there, it went over your head. Here in a little while, you might be getting it. Zozo is none other than our friend, the great Jason Gray. Uh, yeah, that would be me. I, I, yeah, that, that that doesn't feel right. Uh, oh, God. Um, see, no, you, you have to have a name. Like, it, it's Spooky Roads, and, and you know, it, it's the Madman Michael J. Uh, uh, shit. Uh, all right. I got nothing. Jason Grizzly Gray. That works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Why not? <laughs> Grizzly, so, Gordon, Jason, something like that. Right, that's what I was going for. Not like, grr, Grizzly, but more the... Yeah. Anyway, I'm not that good at this on the fly, I guess. Mostly because um, Ghoulish is my go-to if a G and I are used that one. Sorry, Gary beat you to it. That's fine. <laughs> but uh Jason, thank you so much, man. I mean, last minute jumping in here to save our asses. It's it's awesome to Good have to you with here. us. Yeah, and if you guys are unaware, Jason is a longtime friend of mine and Mike's uh with this show and others, and he has his own show that's currently on hiatus Long term hiatus or is it just off? Long term hiatus. I like that terminology. The bloodstream. And about three or four other ideas in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you ever want to do Don't the Podcast, uh, I'm still on board for that, Matt. That would be fun. (laughs) Um, But you also run a website where you review movies bi-weekly, is it? Roughly. Three times a month. Roughly. Okay. Okay. And uh, just so I don't screw up the name of your site, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, I... Obviously. Uh, uh, yeah, um, for the last... Coming up on ten years this October, I will have been running com, where I look at generally movies from the 80s, but I kind of bounce all over depending on my mood and what catches my fancy. Um, usually I stick to the lesser known stuff ranging anywhere from really cheesy bad movies or I even go with some of the classics once a month just to kind of keep things interesting and people want to hear what I think about Nightmare on Elm Street or the Hellraiser movies. But every so often... Well, speaking of that... <clears throat> yes? Go ahead, go ahead. 
Sorry. Uh, but every so often, uh, I tend to focus on things more like Uninvited, which is a wonderful little movie about a cat that spits up a smaller cat that goes around killing people on a boat. <laughs> oh, I love that movie so much. And see, this expertise is exactly why Jason is a friend of ours. Uh, not only that, but he's just a great person. And speaking of his expertise, Jason is uh, part of something that I don't think we've discussed here really before, um, where we're going to have challenge episodes, and Jason will be one of those people joining us, um, along with uh, Mr. Scott Summerton, and we will be actually challenging one another to view and uh, review on here a film that will be a first-time watch for us, and uh, I say that because, Jason, you've seen a lot of movies that I and probably Mike haven't, but you've kind of avoided the mainstream stuff, so I think it's going to be really interesting when we get into that. Right, because, like, everyone's heard about the the big ones, like I mentioned earlier, and, you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, stuff like that, and that's what everyone's, that's what everyone talks about. So, I kind of wanted to dig into the, the garbage heap and see what I could pull out, and occasionally there's a gem. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be really interesting to get somebody who's experienced in those films first time viewing opinion on say like I don't know Jaws or The Exorcist or something like that right <laughs> so that's kind of the whole idea behind it and Scott as he said uh, on here before the uh, uh, top 5 of 2018 episode he, he's mostly the action guy so it's going to be right. interesting to get his thoughts and opinions on a lot of these too as I like to as I like to say, Scott is the predator to my alien. <laughs> that is putting it quite beautifully, actually. That's 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 a great example. <laughs> um. Uh, but before we get into tonight's subject, um, I just got to kind of put it out there. I actually today, mm, God just a couple hours ago, got home from viewing uh, Brightburn, uh-huh. and it was interesting. I, I did enjoy the take on it, and actually a little surprised as to how much it kind of mirrors the Superman backstory. Mm-hmm. So, Really intrigued by that. I do suggest people check it out. Um... Uh, if not in theaters, definitely check it out on digital or Blu-ray. Um, because you might see the trailers or hear the premise and think, eh, that doesn't really sound like it's for me. I'm more of a horror guy. Um, no, this this definitely meets your standards. There, There is very horrific elements to this. Um, I, 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 will, I will put it to you this way you see more than one body open up and there's a extended scene with a person without a jaw that i was surprised was in the movie like normally you see a quick glimpse of something like that 
but here you get to see it kind of play out and not like the quick glimpse and it's gone. So, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I'd have to say on a rating scale right now, just, you know, getting home a couple hours ago and, and kind of not really having much time to think this over or really digest it much at all. Uh, I'm kind of at a three and a half. And, you know, after giving it some thought and everything, it might be a four. I don't, there's no way it's going down to a three. It's just, it's so fresh that it's hard for me to be able to just be like, bam, this is the score. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you need to live with it for a little while, see what you kind of think of the whole thing. Right, right. I'm still in the mode of trying to get everything fucking done because literally my dumbass was like, you know what? We're going to get up. We're going to watch and do all the research for today's show. And then we got a couple hours. We'll drive and watch a movie. And then I get out of the movie and it's after, you know, 5.30. And wait a minute. I'm an hour away from home and we have an interview at 7. And oh, fuck. So, a lot of rushing around, not a lot of time to think, so, yeah. Um, but, like I said, it is an enjoyable film, and I do suggest you guys check it out. Uh, but talking about films that are in the theater right now, I know, Jason, you are just fucking bursting at the seams to see one. Uh, and before it even really hits, kind of, what what are your thoughts? What's, what's your initial opinion before you go in. We're talking Dark Phoenix here, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I I like just teasing it, though. Just leaving uh, it hang there. So people are just like, is he talking about Aladdin? I, I was going to pull a swerve, but I couldn't think of another movie <laughs> in theaters right now. I was going to pull something out, out like uh, uh, Mamma Mia or something like that, but uh, my brain froze. Uh, I am so pumped for this movie. I am so hopeful for it but at the same time I know how bad the X-Men franchise can get I've seen things in the trailers that kind of make me cringe just a a tiny bit not a lot but at the same time it can't be as bad as X-Men The Last Stand in adapting the Dark Phoenix no now for the last zero chance of that for the last week or so I've been rewatching all the movies just to put myself through a whole world of pain. And there are certain movies in the franchise that a lot of people hate. X-Men The Last Stand, X-Men Origins Wolverine are probably the two big standouts. And X-Men Apocalypse. I agree. Um, and I, X-Men Apocalypse to a lesser say, extent. Well, I can't say I hate either of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't enjoy them. Uh, they're not the the ones I will go out of my way to see, and I can honestly say, uh, I don't own them, and I don't really have any intention to own them. Um, uh, the the Wolverine one's just so over the top, cheesy, and it it feels more juvenile than a cartoon, mm-hmm. especially talking X Men because that '90s cartoon was fantastic. Uh-huh. Um. Still one of the best and then the last stand of any comic to media I've seen. Oh, it's it's so good. 
And it even holds up because I remember um, Cartoon Network was airing it at like one in the morning a few years ago. And I just started watching it again and fuck that shit holds up. It's still really good. And it it, it was something uh, aimed for more childlike audiences, but they all weren't dumbing stuff down for them either. No, they they knew the integrity the of their story and they just better, let it unfold. Way to put that. Not children. Right. Yeah, yeah, and and I agree. Um, uh, as as towards the last stand, um, it's just not good. Uh, I, I there's there's hardly any saving graces that I can really talk about that one. I mean, uh, Professor X explodes, which is kind of cool. Um, hey, hey, Dark Phoenix was turning people to dust ten years before Thanos. That's that's true. That's true. Uh, God, I'm trying. Oh God, the the muscle suit, horrible, horrible. Juggernaut did. I I like Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut. Don't get me wrong, right. but the effects were no good. I'm the Juggernaut bitch. Still good. That's a good line. Uh, I but... have such a I have such a love hate for that line. I kind of hate the melding of. <laughs> I kind of hate the melding of the the movies and internet meme culture that mashed up there, and it just rubbed me the wrong way while still being funny. Right. Yeah. No. No. I, I get that. Um, the only other memorable part for me is the finale when Wolverine kills her, and it, I can't even say that's good. I never. I was never touched by it. You know, I wasn't watching it like, oh God, that's hellish for him. I was just like, eh, okay. You know what's sad is, is you know the Wolverine film that follows this up mm -hmm. did a more touching job of revisiting that scene. Yes. Uh, which is horrible, but it's so true. <laughs> Although I kind of feel I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, uh, ghost conscient Gene in that movie. Uh, it worked for Wolverine, but it just felt like a waste of character. I got you. I got you. Um, I I don't know. Uh, the the other one you mentioned was Apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, I really I don't really get a lot of the the hate for that one. Yeah, there's some plot holes and stuff, but but there's it, plot it's holes in all of these movies. The same. Even the right, best of right. them. I, I I I'm just trying to get all the hate for it, and that's really all I can think of. Besides that, I mean. I thought it was a pretty decent telling. The biggest thing I don't like about Apocalypse is I absolutely hate the Quicksilver show-off scene. It, that and the one in uh, Days of Future Past where they, they're showing off his speed grinds the plot right. to a halt and it just, I don't care. I, I think the, the Days one of Future Past one is really cool. Yeah, it's better there because it does help to further the plot, and they don't kind of sit in it as long. There's more motivation right. to it. When in Apocalypse, it's really just there as a showcase for the character. Exactly. It felt like, oh shit, that really got over last time. Well, we have to include it this time. Right. You know, that that's exactly what it felt like. And, you know, and they were, they were just kind of like, well, last time we, we played a music. What if we played the entire song this time? Mm 
it, yeah, it, it felt like it was like a studio mandate. You know how you have Quicksilver doing it? Let's really expand that. You know, mm-hmm. the kids loved that the last time. So, I had a friend who was at the premiere last night. I have had to fight myself uh, to not ask them, is there a Quicksilver scene in this one? You know there is. I you know of, there is. I kind of hope there is at least one that starts and then Dark Phoenix kind of puts an end to it right away. Which would be really cool. He starts running, everything slows down, and the Phoenix is like, no, dust. Even if it wasn't that, I think it would be really cool just to subvert the expectations. You know, everything slows down, the music cues up, and you're just like, oh, here it goes! And then even if she just puts a tree in front of him or something, whatever it is, you're just like, oh. Okay. (laughs) Oh, okay, well, I guess we're not doing that. Which, yeah, I, I think something like that could be really fun. Um, but you mentioned earlier that you saw something in the trailer that made you cringe a little bit. I, I'm curious, because they played that just before Brightburn. What is it in the trailer that, that, oh, I can't, that has I can't you hesitate? Uh, I can't think of what specifically it was now, but there just uh, something to the tone that you kind of get that feeling of, uh, something here is not working. Gotcha. Okay. So just more the overall feeling of, mm, this seems a little off. Yeah. And that's exactly the impression I had with the new Terminator trailer, where mm-hmm. I watched it and it's just like, this doesn't seem right. It's just something about it. I don't like it. And initially I labeled it, you know, it was the CGI. But the CGI mm-hmm. looks perfect. Um, I, there's just something about it that doesn't look right and uh, Scott actually said it's the framing it all looks too perfect and I don't know I hope whatever it is they fix it uh, but discussing trailers since we're on that subject before we move on here real quick um, Last Blood gotta say I, I am surprised at the trailer and I'm also a little surprised how excited I am for it I know I know that we talked about um, it's one that I'm really looking forward to on the films we're looking forward to show but the fact that the trailer hit so solid and it looks so good I'm a little surprised by that it, it, I'm, I was already looking forward to it but this quality makes me more excited I guess cool. that's a better way of putting it <laughs> yeah you, you, kind, you kind of start to expect at this point that Sylvester Stallone's gonna start running out of gas. And it's like, can he really pull this off? And then you see the trailer, and it's like, maybe he can. And we have one more go. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm shutting the logic off of my brain, because I'm watching the trailer, and things are blowing up, and I'm like, wait, he's supposed to be a Vietnam fan. Wouldn't he be, like, 70? And I'm pretty sure Stallone is in his 70s. Although yeah. Stallone is in better shape in his 70s than I've ever been. <laughs> so, it still looks great. But, with all that being said, and getting our general BS out of the way, um, after the break, we are going to be joined by Seth Breedlove, uh, who is a documentary or a documentary filmmaker that kind of focuses on uh, cryptozoology, the paranormal, 
uh, he, he's got several uh, documentaries out on Bigfoot and a plethora of things. Um, so before we really get there, though, Jason, I it, it just kind of got me thinking, you know. <sighs> With stuff like this, what kind of piqued your interest, if you actually have any interest in, in the kind of paranormal cryptozoology kind of thing? Because I, I know with me, I grew up and my parents talked about it. Um, and there was always uh, uh, reruns of In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy or uh, Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, my parents watched that shit religiously. So was there anything like that for you growing up, Jason? Uh, for me, a lot of it was, um, you know, general ghost stories and urban legends that we all hear as kids. And right. uh, that was something that piqued my interest. And like you, Unsolved Mysteries, uh, growing up, I only had five TV channels and two of them were PBS. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, Friday nights or whatever, sitting down to watch Unsolved Mysteries... That was pretty much my only option. Uh, I devoured that stuff up, and when I first moved to Vermont, uh, I mean, I'm like right in the middle of Stephen King land, Lovecraft territory. <laughs> uh, so you know, I get all that stuff in the the local folklore too. Um, but when I first moved here, we'd go to the grocery store, and they'd have you know books and stuff at the uh, checkout line. And there would be these, right. like, little pocket-sized uh, books of folklore, and, you know, I'd grab some of those just to read and have something to do, and that was one way I started getting into this stuff. I actually still have a bunch of those. Um, oh, that's awesome. And from there, I got this... Uh, do you remember the the Time Life series of the, the Mysteries of Mind, Space, and Time, or whatever it was called? Oh, shit, yeah. I completely forgot about that until you mentioned it, but yeah, I do I, now. I didn't have that <laughs> set, but I had this other knockoff set that covers a lot of the same territory. It is this huge 26 <laughs> or 27 volume hardcover set of books that is just loaded with this stuff. I don't think I've even read all of the books, at, even at this point in time. Mainly because they're sitting under my bed in a box after moving a couple times, but that's neither here nor there. You're right. <laughs> um, well, just being curious, you, you mentioned that kind of the the urban legends and local myths and stuff kind of got you interested, so... Uh, what was it? Was it like the, the ghost aspect, or... or um, more the creature. What was it that kind of hooked you? What what sticks out in your memory? It, it was pretty much anything. Uh, 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 right down the street from me, at the corner, there was a burned out house that became known as the haunted house. No one has ever said anything about actual ghosts being there, but everyone just knows it as the haunted house. Um, right. There is a local Vermont author, uh, Joseph Citro, who does a couple novels, but also got really famous for doing uh, books on local folklore that 
I knew. I've met the author a couple times, and I at one point I had all his books. I I've probably fallen behind on that. Um, so you know I'd read that stuff, and he had one on Vermont. Then he moved to New he did one on New England. Um, and just you know just all this stuff I devoured on uh, uh, stuff that's out in the woods or or uh, inside houses, cemeteries all around. <laughs> Okay, all right. No, I, I was just curious because I, I can kind of pinpoint it. Um, like I said, I grew up with the, my parents talking about it and stuff, and it was always two. Um, first and foremost, it was ghosts. Uh, I remember my parents telling ghost stories. My dad has one that he claims happened to him. Um, I'm pretty sure I've told it on here or another show. Um but past that, it was always uh, UFOs, right? Aliens, uh, always, always really interested me. But you know, I, I remember the same thing going to the grocery stores as a kid with my mom and going through checkout and seeing like uh, Weekly World News or mm-hmm. you know the uh, uh, Inquirer, whatever the fuck junk rag was there with like Bat Boy. I don't know why, but that picture of the Bat Boy always stuck in my mind. Or like. Bigfoot, and of course, every time it was Bigfoot, they used a, a clip of the uh, Patterson Gimli footage. You know that, that one shot and, and everyone stuff knows. like that. Yeah, yeah, that shot. Arms kind of mid sway. You know, step going on the the the, the iconic silhouetted shot. Yeah, that, that iconic shot. shot is so um, iconic. There's even a Funko Pop of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know that film is, is so iconic that there's even uh, a guy did a book on just that that film where the film is what like uh, it's not even a full minute I don't think mm-hmm. and it, it's just really interesting um, and I, I don't know stuff like that has always interested me yeah and, and my parents like. Like we said, they watched uh, Unsolved Mysteries religiously. So, yeah, I was exposed to it. Um, I, I may have been a little young for some of the stories at the time because ghosts scared me. And I, I freely admit, still to this day, if you have a good ghost story, that is one sure way to freak me out. We all have kind of that that button. And that's that's what it is for me. It, it's, it's ghosts. And I, I've... You know, spend enough time thinking about it that I, I'm able to nail it down is the the lack of control. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a monster, or an alien, or something like that, you can fight back. You you have you have some say in that. I mean, I'm I I'm a six foot one guy that has done jobs for the last decade plus of dealing with people that don't want to be dealt with. You know, whether it's criminals or the criminally insane. So. I can handle myself fairly well. So something like that doesn't really scare me. It does to an extent. I mean, obviously, no one wants to be probed. But a ghost, you know, what the hell are you going to do? And and I think that's what really gets me about it. And just that it, it kind of really brings up the helplessness, at least in my gut. You know, it, it that's where it strikes me. And... Is it's always kind of been one of those things that that has interested me, and 
I assume this this is the kind of thing that still interests you, right, Jason? Oh yeah, I'm I'm very much a hardcore skeptic these days, but I'm still fascinated by this stuff. Okay, and, and that's kind of the boat I've grown into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm now 35. You know, I'm not, I'm not the kid that that just full on believes everything, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm a skeptic. I, I'm kind of in the middle, you know. At my heart, I want to believe, right. but the logic part of my mind always kicks in. It's just like, well, I don't know about that. Um, but hear me out on this, Jason. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of the reason that I and probably we as a collective that are really into this love this so much and it's so fascinated is because it kind of allows us to have some of that mystery, some of that childhood wonder in the world, some of that magic that growing up you believe the world's full of mm-hmm. and if some of this stuff's out there, then that magic still exists. It's still out there too. And I, I think that's one of the biggest things that draws us to it. Because we want that. I, I think deep down we do. I mean, me speaking for myself, I want nothing more than that, you know? I want nothing more for or the world than, you know, Bigfoot to exist or ghosts or something like that. I, it, it, it's something I, I crave, you know? J- just to have that that feeling of just wonder. And... and I, I really, truly believe that is what draws so many people to it, unless they've actually had an experience. Right. So, having said that, uh, I, I always find it interesting when people come forward with experiences. Um, I, I, because this day and age, you open yourself up to ridicule uh, on a vast scale. And that's why I say this day and age, because you open yourself up on social media, everything for ridicule. Whereas, you know, uh, a couple decades ago, it might have just been locally that you were ridiculed. Um, But it it always fascinates me when people come forward with stuff like this, because I, I don't really see much gain unless you're, you know, trying to promote something. So, just being curious, Jason, have you ever had any personal experiences with any of the paranormal, cryptozoological, any of this stuff? Yes, I have. Oh, shit! Jackpot! Alright, perfect. <laughs> Good. Then I don't feel as out of place. So, um, as the guest, uh, I'm gonna let you go on this. Uh, I have several. <laughs> oh, damn. Um... Okay, well, I, I'll let you... I only have about uh, two, maybe three good stories. Yeah, so I, about, I'll, about I'll the same for me. Uh, let me okay. tell you... Let me, I'll tell you this one very basic one. And it's kind of a ghost story. Okay, um... Now, just just to put it out here, man, I'm not twisting your yep. arm. You don't yep. have to divulge anything you don't want to. I, <laughs> duh, duh, that's all. I just want to put it out there. <laughs> uh, 
back in high school, I was in the drama club. I can and, see it. And uh, naturally, um, the uh, theater we worked in was located in the uh, old town hall. Okay. And uh, it's hard to remember a lot of the details because it was a long time ago. Uh, but needless to say, yeah, I know weird like stuff. Just seven time years ago, it's quite a long time ago. Um, me and a couple of my friends always liked to kind of hang out because uh, it took time to you know finish with school, and then it would be a couple hours, and we'd have rehearsal that night or whatever. So we'd kind of stick around okay. and just kind of hang out at the town hall. There is a piano right. there, and one night we start hearing this clinking on the piano. We were the only two people there, as far as we knew. Uh, other that's, people, other people had other creepy. occurrences. Um, during a performance one night, there was this loud bang behind me that people saw uh, a uh, uh, trunk moving off stage, and it's like everyone else saw it but me because my back was turned to this shit. <laughs> we ended up nicknaming the ghost Philippe and uh, we tried doing research on the place and all we could find out was that the town hall burned down like twice over the history that it's been there so I mean possibly someone died there but who knows right alright well I, I, I suppose I will match you um, story for story Okay. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not going to pull the lame uh, telling my dad's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start off uh, kind of easy and with the oldest story, and we'll we'll progress forward from there. Um, I I grew up in my parents' house, and it's a Depression era house. Um, and. I'll put it to you this way. Um, when my, my sister would have boyfriends over, friends have a sleepover, anything like that, uh, it wasn't frequent, but I, I would say a good 35 to 40% of the time, um, they would say that they felt something, you know, like there's something there, like they were being watched, or you just know when you, you enter someplace and you, you feel like you're not alone. Right. Um, I, I used to live in a well, Victorian house. I know the feeling. <laughs> Okay, so apparently people got that a lot, uh, especially upstairs. Um, now, I, I grew up in a home. I, it was always normal to me. Um, however, uh, growing up, I did have a recurring dream of an old lady uh, upstairs. The way that our house was set up is you'd come in the front door, and right there was the staircase up to the top floor and my dream was always that I was standing at the the bottom of the stairs looking up and an old lady in one of those white nightgowns that hung you know below the knee was just standing there and she had the the old you know pure white uh, not beehive but the the curly tight to the head hair and she was just staring at me and I, I've always remembered that dream still to this day, and I remember I had it multiple times. Um, 
I mean, it wasn't until I, I started hearing these stories from my my sister's friends and then husband or whatever that I started to put two and two together. And, and you know, when I was a teenager, I moved to the top floor, you know, the promotion. And uh, weird things did happen in the house, but I never really put credence to it until later when I started thinking all this stuff over, you know, like the TV would turn on by itself or turn off by itself. Or um, a really an annoying occurrence is the phone would ring, and then you'd pick it up, and there's no one there but a dial tone. So I grew up with that kind of thing, and, and I actually remember being a teenager just waking up because the phone was ringing, and, you know, this is after, you know, late night out with friends, hanging out, doing whatever, and, and just being pissed off and yelling, you know, knock this shit off. Not really thinking about it, just, you know exclaiming my frustration and it's weird to kind of have this period to look back on it now and kind of connect the dots and just be like I wonder if there is something there you know mm-hmm. so sorry there's nothing grander than that but that, that's just <laughs> kind of okay. where the it begins <laughs> Another good one for me is uh, my monster encounter. No shit. Really? <laughs> it, it, it's it's minor. Don't get too excited. Um, again, I, 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 this, not me trying to 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 you know criticize you at all. This is really this isn't prepped at all. I literally <laughs> just threw this on Jason. And this is just pure surprise and amazing coincidence that you, at the very last second, stepped in on a show where we're interviewing a guy that goes about researching this. So, mm-hmm. I, I guess things really do happen for a reason. Anyways, like I've said, but please, I, yeah. I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in the woods. I can walk out my door and run into <laughs> a bear at any time. Um, I know the feeling. <laughs> again, back in high school, and this one, this is at least clearer because this happened to me and has been burned into my memory. Uh, my friends and I would always go for long walks at night because we liked walking along the back roads and we were stupid teenagers who didn't know any better about bears or UFOs or any of that kind of stuff, right? Right, no, I totally get it. We all did things like that. And, you know, we'd like to go out, check out the stars and stuff like that. We'd find a field, go lay out on some of the rocks out there and just kind of bullshit until 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, one night we're out in this... Teenager stuff. Right, one night we're out in this field where we'd like to go out and hang out. And we just hear this loud, shrill shriek of a sound. And the only response to this is like, what the fuck? Trees start shaking. Something comes out of the woods. Standing upright on two legs. All I can describe is a giant humanoid shadow with... I don't know if this is the mind playing tricks on me or if it was real but I remember 
burning coals of eyes set into the darkness. We saw this, heard the screech again, and ran like bats out of hell. And did not look back, hearing the shriek the entire time until we were inside with the door between us and whatever this was. How large would you say this creature was? Um, eight feet, eight to ten, somewhere in that range. So larger than the average man. Uh, yeah. So, would you... It, it almost sounds like, to me, an outsider, just as I'm visualizing this, it kind of sounds mm-hmm. like you had a Bigfoot encounter of some sort. Very possibly, but it gets more fun. Um, oh, shit. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought that was the end. Please, not, proceed. Not quite in the way you're expecting. Later <laughs> on, uh, my friend whose house we were staying at, where we ran in and <laughs> shut the door behind us good and tight, uh was he was either in Kmart or a bookstore, doesn't matter. And he was just going through some stuff. And this actually ties back to what I was talking to earlier. He was going through one of the books by Joseph Citro. And the book just fell out of his hands, fell open, and landed on an entry that described what we saw perfectly. It is a creature or it, it we in the book what he found was a creature of uh, local Native American folklore. I think it's the uh, Abenakis, but I don't want to say for certain because I'll probably offend someone. Um, right. A, a creature known as uh, Wajuk. Okay. Which translates roughly as wet skin. It was this uh, creature that they, the, the natives encountered and early French settlers also uh, encountered that was the large creature with red eyes and uh, a shriek like a what I describe it as a, a buzzsaw cutting through metal and okay it, and it, known as having this kind of wet uh, uh, slippery skin kind of like uh, an, an eel or something like that or wet fur so it's kind of like our own local hmm. Bigfoot variant, kind of like the the Sasquatch or Yeti as, and other types. Right. Uh, wow. Um, I'm completely blown away by that, to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, I... I thought you were going in a different direction, and when you started with your your story, when you you brought up the scream, it actually gave me goosebumps, uh, Mm -hmm. because it it reminded me of uh, my next encounter, Uh, and I know I've told this one before, because it it stands out so well to me. Um, (laughs) All right, so... As I said, ghosts have always fascinated me. And a few years before, uh, I I began, you know, 
doing the 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 ghost busting, you know, the the ghost hunting crap that you see. Not anything serious, you know. You go out there if you're your camera and you turn on the, the the night vision and maybe a recorder or something you know that was before everything was on your cell phone sorry kids uh at that uh, when, point in time not when I was everything 12, was available when <laughs> i was 12 or so me and a couple of friends were junior ghostbusters <laughs> <laughs> well we did this for a while and we we went to a couple different places and, of course, you know, you start looking around at local myths and stuff like that. And a lot of it was, you know, this old Victorian place. You know, apparently you see somebody in the window. We drive by or walk by or something and try and see something. But you can't. And it's not exactly like you can go into those places to investigate. But one of our myths is uh, Guernsey Hollow Cemetery. And you can actually look that up. It's been on television programs. It's, it's a fairly well-known one. It's a... Uh, very old cemetery that is supposedly haunted um you want stories it's got all kinds where a supposed witch back in years ago probably a hundred or more was stoned to death after fleeing to there um at one point in time during the satanic panic period in the late 70s 80s uh a dog was crucified to a giant uh cement cross that's at the back of the cemetery at the top of a hill uh, all, all kinds of weird stuff like that so we decide in our infinite wisdom that we are going to go and check it out and of course you know we initially scope it out during the day looks kind of cool here's how we're going to do it and we park probably a mile away because you know it's illegal to be in a cemetery after nightfall and we walk up and we arrive probably a half hour before midnight and we begin doing the, the usual, you know, taking photos. Um, uh, I had a camera. My friend had a, a pretty nice recorder. And doing just doing the, the ghost hunter stick. And, yeah, we had a couple photos where it looked like there were orbs or something. And you'd hit a couple spots where it was colder. But I, I'm going to... This is the normal me here. The photos could have been anything. Yeah, I mean, we were using older cell phones, so quality's not that top-notch. It, mm. it, it could have been dust. It could have been a bug. It could have been anything. The cold spots, it, we were outside. It was fall. That, that could have been anything as well. Um, we did catch some EVPs. For those of you that are unaware, that's an electronic voice phenomenon where it sounds like something's there um and i say sounds like because you know you have to listen very closely into the static and you can catch what you believe or your mind thinks are voices or phrases or stuff like that and there are some some of it i thought was kind of compelling some of it i thought was nonsense but the thing that that has made this stand out to me so much is that during all this towards the end we were here for a while, so it was probably getting close to three in the morning. We started hearing things or something walk around the perimeter of the cemetery. Now, this is a very old cemetery, and it had a wrought iron fence, and it was set on a hillside, and on the sides of it and in the back, it was wooded. The road came right by the front of it, and the front was open, and the rest is woods. And so we heard something just outside the perimeter walking around. 
I didn't really pay much mind to that. Uh, I assumed it was a deer, you know, something like that. Um, and then we heard whatever it was, scream, a howl, whatever. Um, the best way I can describe it is uh, it, it was very guttural and it sounded very angry. Um, it, it was not a dog. You know, I've always grown up with dogs. I've been around dogs. I've heard dogs when they're growl or they're angry. Nothing like that. Um, it was it wasn't quite feline, but somewhat in that. And it was loud, and it just echoed the whole way around. And it was the kind of noise that automatically knew, and you know, the pit of your stomach. You're in danger. You know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. And it's the kind of thing where you hear that, and it's just that, oh, shit. Whatever you're doing, you stop. All three of us just stopped. We stood there, and we were probably standing there for a few minutes, two, three, maybe four minutes, and it's just silent. There's not a single sound, and we quickly make our minds up we're going to get the fuck out of here. You know, that that is a sign that whatever it is, whether it's, you know, spiritual or physical, it doesn't want us here. We are not welcome. Um, and to this day, I, I don't know what it is. You know, I remember the next few days going to uh, YouTube and, and trying to listen to different things that are native here. You know, foxes, um, um, raccoons, anything like that that I could think of. And uh, uh, even a bobcat, and none of it lined up. I still, to this day, have no idea what the hell that was. But uh, it it is forever in my mind, and it scared the shit out of all of us. Like, the common thing with both of our stories. Even if yours was just like a coyote, and mine was a bear, we made the right decision to get the hell out of there. Right, right. Well, normally, I'm the kind of guy that's like, well, I want to see what that is. But whatever that was, it, it mm-hmm. just struck some primal chord in me. It was just like, nope. Whatever that is doesn't want you here, and you need to leave. Uh, I don't know. All right, uh, but do, do you have uh, one more for us, Jason? I've got one more. Okay. Uh, I'm all ears, my friend. <laughs> this this is something I'm sure you're at least familiar with. Shadow okay. people. Shadow people. Okay. All right. Y- you've probably I'm heard of them at least, in, at least in movies. Right. The common thing, which, and has also happened to me, is being in bed waking up and seeing someone standing next to your bed. They don't really have a defined form, they're just a shadow. Some people see ones that are more physical than other people, or some are just more mist-like. I have seen these several times. Either just outside my window because 
I'm on the bottom floor. Or literally right next to my bed, and I, if I wanted to, I could reach out and touch them. Oh, Jesus. Most people that have encountered shadow people have kind of brushed it aside as um, seeing things during sleep paralysis. Because your brain's still waking up, you can't move, and uh, uh, the brain still isn't quite sure what's reality and what's in your subconscious, and it's creating images, so that's what the common uh, uh, explanation is for shadow people, and also partly right. uh, uh, where some of the myths of stuff that led to the creation of Freddy Krueger came from. Although there's more to that story that I know you know. Oh, of course, yeah. Because, like, shadow people don't normally end up killing people in their sleep. Um, <laughs> uh, but the main difference with mine is, I've never sl- suffered from sleep paralysis. I have actually jumped at these things that have shown up next to my bed. Because that's So it's my... not a case of that? No, it's not. Th- that's the thing that really puts this in another category of stuff you can you can just explain away. Because when I see hmm. something standing next to my bed, I don't think like, oh, I'll close my eyes and go back to bed. I'm like, no, this is someone in my room. They have to get out of here. <laughs> After the first few times, I started sleeping with very large uh, uh, 12-inch spikes next to my bed. I have actually attacked these things and made them go away. At least in a sense of, you know, brushing through a a misty thing that's no longer there when you turn on the light. Okay. It's been a very long... It's been a very long time since I've seen them, but that might be because I don't sleep until the sun comes up now. Oh, really? (laughs) Unrelated, unrelated. I'm a night person. Right, right. No, I totally get that. But at least if they're going to pay a visit, I'm going to be fully awake and I can offer them some some coffee and see if they want to chat. (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, you you said you actually tried to attack them and describe them as misty. Uh, when you did a try, did were you able to feel anything? Uh, it, it was kind of like brushing through a cold spot in the air. Okay, all right. So at least you you there was some difference. Yeah, I, I'm kind of glad there wasn't a physicality there because if I swung and hit, you know, like if you ever swung at a person and you hit their side. If that happened, I probably would have had a heart attack right then and there. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I think uh, even just swinging through somebody would would probably do more damage to my psyche than you know uh, actually striking somebody. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll put it out there. Um, I have seen shadow people, but I do push it aside. Um, mm-hmm. My encounters are nothing like that. My, mine, mine were at a very low time in my life. Um, mm-hmm. I was very depressed. I was, I was struggling with a lot, and I, I know that at those times uh, it can be a side effect and actually see them. And, and that, that was, that was it for me. I was just very, very depressed, and I, I remember they'd kind of creep in from my periphery, and I would just close my eyes or shake my head, and they'd be gone. Mm-hmm. And it was during 
not even like you're saying asleep and they were just there. It was just every day. And like I, I could be driving somewhere and I thought I'd see somebody beside me or I could be walking and it just looked like suddenly there was uh, a shadow of somebody right beside me. Um, and, and I, I do fully believe that that was just, you know, a, a side effect of my mental stability at the time. Right. Um, but my, uh, my, my third story is um, not really so great, uh, but it is one that I've never told. It actually happened to me last year. Um, I, I've, I've, I've never told anyone, and with you being so forthcoming, I, uh, I, I guess I will actually put this one out here. Um, it was actually uh, early winter. I believe it was December. I was running about doing some errands um uh, i believe i was actually getting uh, christmas presents um and i was driving from one town to my hometown and uh in so doing i saw what i can only describe as what looked like a ufo um uh, I'm hesitant in saying so because I, I know what comes with, oh, he saw it at UFO. What it was was I was driving down the road, and I'm the kind of person that, you know, I'm observant, so I, I notice things around me. Um, yeah, it's so much so that I, I've been driving to work before and seen uh, uh, an ermit, you know, the, the type of um, uh, weasel that, that right, lives right. here in Pennsylvania. Um but anyway, uh, crested and, uh, a, a knoll coming down. It's a long straightaway. There are uh, sparse trees, a couple houses, and there were other cars on the road. And I just remembered something catching my eye in the sky. And I, you know, glance up, and there's a row of four lights. Uh, it, you know, almost looked the exact same as the stars, but you know they're perfectly in line. You know, like that that classic image that you see if you Google UFO or something like that, where it looks like if you were able to see it in daylight, you would see the full disc or whatever it was, and the lights just along it. And that's even if you just imagine, you know, the lights are off and a disc with lights around it. That's exactly what it looked like in the sky, you know, among the stars. And I'm not an idiot. I I know what stars look like. I know what satellites look like. I know what planes look like. I literally live in a cabin along the National Forest, all right? I sit in my fucking yard, and there's no light pollution. I can see the stars. I know what the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper, yeah, they're a line of stars. I know what all that shit looks like. So for this to stand out and then me look at it and think, that's not natural. That's that's out of place. Um, it, it's really stood out to me, and it, it kind of struck a chord with me that it, it was so strange, mm-hmm. um, wrong even. Um, it, it, it took a while for it to kind of set in, and I'd stop at a gas station and I'd use the restroom because I'd been on the road for a little bit and I, I grabbed a, a, a pop and 
just kind of rolling over it in my mind and just kind of realizing, you know, that I don't know what that was. I don't know what that could have been, but it wasn't natural. And, and just wishing, you know, I'd, I'd had the, the, the sensibility to stop, to just pull off to the side and, and actually get a better look, to, to, to try and get a picture, to, you know, observe it better instead of just driving along and, and seeing something at a place like that. And I'm still not sold. I, I'm not sitting here preaching to you that I have seen a flying saucer. What I'm saying is I saw something that I can't identify that I don't know what it is and it was in the sky. That's what I'm saying and I, I feel weird putting myself out there like that but I I don't know what it was and you know, in, the, in the pit of my stomach I, I hope it's real but on the other hand I kind of don't because that's that's scary to think of you know that, that there's something like that out there. Mm-hmm. You so, saw that, that. You saw by the purest definition an unidentified flying object. Exactly. And I, I really don't know what it is. And I, you know, I, I went home. My fiance was at work. She got home later that night, and I thought about telling her. And then I just kind of realized she'd probably just dismiss it or you know criticize me. And it's just like, eh. It wasn't like a big thing. It wasn't like I, I saw a definite, you know, that was a flying craft. It was just, it was something strange. I'll just keep it to myself. And I, I kind of wonder how many people are out there that have had experiences like this, you know. Whether, you know, it's a, it's the monster like you saw or uh, ghosts, shadow people like we've seen or whether it's something in the sky, that they've seen an unidentified flying object or like we will be discussing in the upcoming interview uh, a cryptid uh, an un unknown flying animal so um, I'm just kind of curious you know uh, if any of you guys out there listening have heard of or seen encountered anything like this I, I would love it if you guys reached out and uh, let us know um or if you also think I'm a, a fucking lunatic, um, well, you should probably tune into the next episode where we're just talking about movies again. But uh, if not, I, I say have an open mind and definitely check out our interview with uh, Seth coming up because he has some truly, truly great documentaries that I really do suggest. Um, uh, you know, On the Trail of Bigfoot is this amazing documentary where he travels all across the country and talks to experts and eyewitnesses and, and goes to different locations and actually has some uh, encounters himself and we'll get into that in the interview and um, we'll also get into as I discussed the flying cryptids uh, thunderbirds if you will gigantic flying birds or flying creatures uh hint, hint, Mothman, or things along those sorts. Um, I, I really, really suggest you guys check it out. And uh, like I said, man, I would I would love it if any of you had anything like this to, to contact us. Um, but really, Jason, uh, 
eternally grateful that you you joined us that you last minute were able to just jump in and be like fuck yeah man I'll, I'll i'll record with you i don't even know what we're talking about and then i just happened to find out that you are the perfect man for the job not a problem <laughs> ah so and everyone out there listening thank you guys so much make sure you uh stay after the break and check out this amazing interview um and really besides that guys just remember keep an open mind the world might surprise you there are still wonders out there and as always keep it creepy stay spooky my friend Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions, or The Purge, which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, Guys. Oh, oh, hey, Producer, producer Michael. Michael, hi. Oh, well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Friday the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. You don't have to 
All right, and we are back. We are joined, obviously, by Seth Breedlove. Uh, Seth, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's not a problem. So, Seth, I, I'm just a little curious. Um, how, well, for those of you that are just joining us for the interview, which I don't know why you'd be doing that, but anyway... Seth is a documentary paranormal filmmaker, uh, cryptozoologist, I guess is the more correct yeah. term, correct? Right? I, I, I shrug that one off. <laughs> like, like personally, <laughs> I, I really see myself just as a filmmaker, and then, like, the subjects I, I cover just happen to be, like, these weird, like, paranormal and unexplained subjects. I definitely do not refer to myself as a cryptozoologist, but for some reason I've been... I have been given that term, and I was in 2017. I was given a statue and called the Cryptozoologist of the Year, which is is odd because I just I don't yeah I don't consider myself that. I'm just an independent nobody who happens to make movies about weird and unexplained subjects. <laughs> well, for somebody that doesn't really identify as that, that had to have been incredibly odd to be awarded the cryptozoologist of the year. Yeah, I mean for it it is because uh I don't yeah, it's a strange thing cuz I don't, you know, for, m- most of the subjects we we uh explore I I'm I love I love the paranormal and I love cryptozoology and I love I love these topics. I don't consider myself a like a stone cold believer uh in this stuff. I'm and, and I I also don't love the label of skeptic but i do tend to be fairly skeptical in my approach to most of these subjects so you know like um i just never i i don't think that i add anything to the cryptozoology game uh in terms of um you know like i i just don't i I don't think i'm doing anything to sort of um help uh discover undiscovered animals which is sort of what cryptozoology is all about like i i just make movies about those subjects because who doesn't love uh you know like the idea of a a giant birds flying around above our heads um and and things like that so (laughs) it was it was a little strange um but uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna complain about it i just thought it was a little funny to give it to me (laughs) i agree but i i think i think i i understand their point that you're you're not only documenting it, but you're also drawing more attention to some of the unknown cases out there, sure, and really yeah. just highlighting it. Which, you know, that in itself is a big help. Sure, sure. I guess, yeah. I mean, the way the way I see it at this point is, um, uh, what we do is at least at least uh, equal parts entertainment and um, some some level of historical preservation. Uh, especially in a film like Terror in the Skies, I always divide, there's like a pretty sharp dividing line between something like Terror in the Skies, which is a relatively underexplored subject um, in any, you know, in, in mainstream or or the paranormal world. It's an under underexplored topic. Or, or something like our Mothman movie, where everyone and their mom has made a Mothman documentary um, or some sort of Mothman horror movie. <laughs> um, you know, so like... Uh, the Mothman didn't need us to come along and and preserve aspects of that story. Um, that's not to say we didn't, you know, 
offer forth uh, a lot of stuff that hadn't been explored anywhere else. But something like Terror in the Skies, I could see the value in it from a historical perspective because it's just been so under undercovered, you know, by by anyone really. I mean, it's it's just a subject that's sort of been shied away from. Um, so there's always there's always to me anyway there's always a pretty sharp dividing line between like the the really you know heavily explored subjects and then something like Flatwoods Monster or Terror in the Skies. Well, not only that, but uh, we we are here to talk about Terror in the Skies, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I also watched uh, On the Trail of Bigfoot. Oh, cool! And with that one, you drew my attention to something that I wasn't aware of. Um, and we we are Pennsylvania based, so I was quite surprised when I discovered about uh, the uh, Chestnut Ridge incidents with Bigfoot and all oh, that. Yeah. And uh, actually, I, I noticed that you have a, a documentary specifically on that, and I will be acquiring that so I can watch it. But I, I, I think that that's what's so interesting about it is you do draw attention even even when we're talking about bigfoot which you know everyone and their mother knows about but the, there are instances out there that people aren't aware of sure yeah like chestnut ridge is cool too because that's that's um that's actually one of my favorite movies of ours invasion on chestnut ridge um uh, it's 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 a really like fun broad sort of look at all these weird subjects in one particular location um but that and it's funny i was just there like over the weekend i was uh, i was actually uh right near ohio pile um over the weekend so i was i was right right on the ridge but yeah like if, if we can i i prefer to sort of like cover subjects or topics um that that are less less explored um for one for one thing there's way less pressure <laughs> to, to sort of like offer forth something that people don't already know, uh, because if I can pick a subject that no one knows <laughs> anything about, then I'll, I'll automatically be in a position where pretty much anything we offer is is going to be new for someone. Um, but it, it's it's just fun too for me because I you know you you uh, some element of what I do is is reporting or journalism, and I have a newspaper reporting background, so I like I like sort of the research end of of small town monsters and being involved in, you know, like seeking out witnesses and things like that. And that's kind of how this all began, you know, was, was as it initially was like a book proposal for small town monsters. And then it became a, an independent documentary. And I had to go seek out all the original witnesses and the, the police chief who investigated those, those reports and, and all that kind of stuff. So wh- whenever I can dive back into that side of things, um, rather than just like the editing and production side of, of making movies, I, I always enjoy that. Um, you know, and and obviously something like Terror in the Skies is a little different because it it really relies heavily on investigators and researchers uh, more so than like eyewitnesses. Um, but but my favorite projects are always the ones where where I have to really like do a a, a deep dive into trying to find you know those those people. And and we brought on um, we brought on a, a research assistant recently. Um, Heather Mosier and she's been awesome at like helping me, you know, find find new witnesses and leads on every story we're covering. So that that aspect of STM is always always a lot of fun and a big part of that is just trying to find cases that people might not know about like you, you know, not knowing about the the Chestnut Ridge and all the weird 
insane crap that happens there. But definitely check that movie out because it's really really bizarre. It's a bizarre movie. Oh, I totally plan on it. And that actually kind of surprised me because I I am a fan of this and I, I, I try to absorb the information I can. Hell, I even knew about the story here in Pennsylvania of the Amish war with Bigfoot, quote unquote. And <laughs> to hear about this it was just like wait what how do i not know about this yeah yeah that uh there's always like obscure like or or sides of of these subjects especially bigfoot just because the the history of it is so massive i mean i made a three hour long documentary miniseries about bigfoot and didn't even scratch the surface of any of that stuff so um but that's cool that 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 was like a window for you into the the chestnut ridge we're actually doing a a live we do a small town monsters podcast called monsteropolis and when we um we're actually doing like a live recording of that show in pittsburgh uh in july where we're gonna do a whole like deep dive into the chestnut ridge and like the whole history of of that area and all the weird stuff that that's happened along there Oh, that's cool. Uh, actually, if I'm off work, I'm definitely going to try and be there. So, is that you're you're over near Pittsburgh? Uh, well, I I'm north of Pittsburgh. Uh, mm-hmm. probably about two hours north. So, gotcha. Okay, cool. But uh, I I have to ask this. I'm just kind of curious. What kind of drove you into this research? I mean. It's not an everyday thing, so I'm assuming that you kind of grew up with the mist or something like that. So I'm just curious, what compelled you to to begin down this road? Yeah, it wasn't. I didn't. I didn't actually grow up um, with an interest in like the paranormal or cryptids, and it wasn't even until um, the Mothman prophecies with Richard Gere came out that I was even aware that people believed in like a factual reality behind something like ufos or bigfoot i i'd always thought that was kind of like a uh, an urban legend um you know with no real basis in reality like it was just stories people made up or something um you know like slender man right. or something like that um so it was it was weird to me like it was like eye-opening when i when i first realized that, that these are things that people you know claim to encounter so um what happened was um, I I gained a an interest in UFOs and Bigfoot uh, in the mid two thousands, probably like two thousand five when I was in my mid twenties, and um, and I started um, looking into whether or not there were reports near the town where I was living at the time, which was the town I had grown up in uh, here in Ohio. It's a tiny town off of uh, Route seventy seven. It's uh, called Bolivar, but I started finding out that there were all these reports of you know like bigfoot type creature sightings that that were happening outside of the town um and that some of them involved like animal mutilation and um that kind of piqued my interest and i began um talking to to residents around the area where the sightings were happening and finding out that like uh, you know, like residents didn't—they didn't necessarily believe that Bigfoot was there, but they had been hearing uh, stories from their neighbors or seeing strange things in the woods all the way going back to the '70s in this one particular area. And I thought that was really intriguing, and that was kind of like the first time I ever um, really 
started to take this subject seriously. And, uh, you know, I, I think back then in the early days of getting into this, you immediately just, at least the way I was, was I just immediately believed that Bigfoot must be real because people were telling me they were seeing it and uh, it just seemed so believable when I would talk to them. And then over time, I think it, my, my skepticism started to grow. And eventually I got to the point where I was much less... Um, open to it and then over the last couple of years I think I've become much more open to it again so I'm on sort of a roller coaster of emotion when it comes to Bigfoot um, but yeah it all it all sort of started in the t- in the 2000s with just investigating reports near the town I'd grown up in and then it just sort of blossomed from there okay and you you've made several documentaries actually on Bigfoot alone uh, kind of concluding with uh, the previously mentioned one on the trail of Bigfoot. And I have to say that one was really interesting, eye-opening. I mean, because not only did you focus on different subjects, you, you actually covered the myth and, and kind of the background here in America. Mm-hmm. And you also highlighted uh, something that I thought was incredibly interesting with it, uh, the uh, Area X group and their approach to it, which... I was unfamiliar with. I'm interested in Bigfoot, but not so much so that I'm listening to the podcast and fully researching it or anything like that. So to find out that there's this group doing a very scientific approach and with the understanding that science needs a body, I, I find that incredibly interesting. Yeah, that that group, the North American Wave Conservancy, and then the Olympic Project up in uh, the 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 Olympics, um, those two uh, are sort of the the for me anyway. That's like the 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 peak of Bigfoot research today. It's those two groups because those two groups are really. Um, not not entirely comprised, but there's quite a number of like r- really well educated, intelligent people that are involved in both of those groups, and as- especially with you know the NAWAC, they they go into one location and they're in there for for months, you know, like seven months, and they're trying to document and um, like you said, I mean, bring in a body uh, to prove that these things exist to science, um, and. Yeah, you know, like that's sort of where my mind was changed in terms of the the, the subject last year, um, because I know when I went in there and in, into Area X, which is in the Wachita Mountains in in Oklahoma, when I went in there, I was I was uh, I was I had become very very skeptical about about the existence of Bigfoot. I just in in like all the years I've been doing this or just been interested in the subject, I just had experienced literally nothing that I could really point to and, and say, okay, that, that was unexplained. Like pretty much anything that had happened to me, I could explain away. And, um, and then I was in there for like two and a half days and in two and a half days, it was like an almost constant stream of like really bizarre activity happening that didn't, didn't make sense. And it, it kind of culminated with, um, something throwing rocks and screaming at us in the middle of the night from a, a hill, um, near, near our camp. And, uh, yeah, for, for for like anyone listening, this probably just sounds silly or absurd, you know. But um, <laughs> if, if you go, if you if you watch that episode, um, you, you'll probably have a sense of why the things that happen to us are so interesting. Um, simply because of where this location is, it's not a place where people are, um, and it's so far off the beaten path. Um, you know, not but basically over ten miles back into the woods. Um, 
on unpaved uh, dirt roads, um, and, and there's just no one back there. It's it's the most isolated I've ever felt, like anywhere. Um, but yeah, that was sort of the the, the NAWAC and Area X are, I think, who I'm crediting with uh, me being in the unfortunate predicament uh, that I'm in today, where I I feel like I'm about eighty percent sure that these things are out there. All right, so that that's actually really interesting to hear that because earlier you said that you've been kind of on a roller coaster with the whole Bigfoot, and to hear that you're now eighty percent sure. Um, that's that's actually really interesting for me to hear because I've kind of always been in that boat too where you kind of want it to exist but there's so much that seems not to really line up or a lot of the accounts videos stuff like that yeah they just they just don't seem realistic yeah no and and I'm I I just had this talk so I was I was at a like I said I was at the Chestnut Ridge over the weekend and I was there with a bunch of like bigfooters um and one of the people that was in the group I was with was uh Cliff Barrickman and him and I went out for dinner one night Cliff was on the TV show Finding Bigfoot um he was uh right. Yeah. Anyway, Cliff and I went out, and we had this whole discussion about it. And I said, you know, do you, are you? Is there ever any moment where you, where you have have doubts that these things exist? You know. And he he just said no. Like he said, sometimes he lets himself think about it just just as like a a goof. But you know, like there's no doubt in his mind that they exist. And I'm like, I am not there. Like I I'm eighty percent. You know, I'm eighty percent that these things are out there, but. I have so many questions as to how they would exist and how they've managed to live that long that sort of override the fact that something strange happened to me. Now, if I had seen something, if I had seen something with my own eyes, I think I'd, things would be a little different. You know, like, obviously, if you see it, it the questions are kind of, I mean, they're not erased. You're still going to have those questions. How do they, how do they remain un, unseen by people? Um, how, how do they stay hidden? All that kind of stuff. But how do they live? How do their family groups operate? All that stuff. But, but um, you know, you're you've had a sighting, so it's kind of overridden by that. I didn't have a sighting. I just had something really bizarre, screaming and throwing rocks at us in the middle of the <laughs> in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> so I totally, you know, like, and I I do think there's a lot of um, it's hard to say evidence. Uh, there's definitely not proof. I don't believe that there's proof that Bigfoot exists, but there's a lot of evidence. Uh, in the form of like footcasts and and um, you know like eyewitness stories um, and and none of that is going to convince an ardent skeptic and it really shouldn't you know like I, th- I I honestly think at the end of the day the only thing that's going to convince um, like the scientific community and and most of the really ardent skeptics out there that Bigfoot exists is if a body is brought in or a piece of a body or something like that so um, I was moved enough by my trip to say that okay i'm 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 very very open to the possibility that they are there unfortunately that doesn't completely override the the numerous questions i have as to how uh, you know like a seven to eight foot tall seven to ten foot tall um primate remains unhidden uh you know in forests that sit right outside of some of the largest metropolitan areas in North America, um, how they managed to stay hidden, how they, how they would, you know, function, how, how many there would have to be for there to be a sustainable population of them. Um, all those, all those things that make very little sense when you really step back and, and look at the subject. And yet 
you know, people are seeing something. I can I can tell you from from interviews we've done, and I've always felt this way, even at my most skeptical. People are seeing something, and they believe they're seeing something. So, does that necessarily automatically mean that there is a a Bigfoot in the forest? Not necessarily, but I do think that there is evidence that warrants at least looking into the subject. You know, and I think for the most part, people just kind of laugh off the entire idea because they might not have any knowledge of what the subject actually is about, you know, what, what, what people are actually claiming to see and how, how, uh, far back into the past the historical record goes, uh, in terms of like sightings of these types of creatures, you know, it didn't start in like the 1950s. It started centuries ago with native Americans and, and obviously it's still ongoing today. And the, you know, the characteristics that people are, the, 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 something you know that first episode of on the trail of Bigfoot talks about this something the the characteristics that people recount seeing in Bigfoot reports today are are extremely similar if not identical to the same things that people were saying that that they contained that the, those you know characteristics were two hundred years ago right and. I think that's one of the most fascinating aspects about it. But talking about sightings and not really understanding what people are seeing, let's dive straight into the meat and potatoes of this. You know, your your newest film, Terror in the Skies. Mm-hmm. And right off, I, I have to compliment you because uh, uh, this is a really, really great documentary. Um, oh, cool. I thought it was amazingly put together, really well shot. And uh, you, you were able to tackle the subject in a way that I wasn't put off. Which, me saying that sounds weird because I, I've already said that I'm kind of a fan of cryptozoology, the paranormal and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, you know, you, you bring that up and people are interesting, interested to talk about, you know, Bigfoot or something like that. But you talk about giant birds and all of a sudden they're just like, eh, yeah, no. So I, I think your approach to it was really interesting and the fact that you know you you brought up a couple cases in that that are really interesting and make you question things but i'm just kind of curious what what drove you down the road to to want to tackle uh for lack of better term uh giant birds (laughs) (laughs) uh i'm always (laughs) going to tackle giant birds um no the the i think (laughs) it's a it's a weird it's a weird decision um to, to decide that, you know, like, to, to follow up something relatively commercially, you know, Bigfoot's kind of a no-brainer when it comes to these subjects, because as weird as it might sound, um, you know, the, the subjects we tackle, they have built-in audiences to a certain extent, um, especially, like, certain monsters. Like Mothman, you can kind of rely on there being an audience for that, and you can rely on there being an audience for Bigfoot. And, um, you know, something like the Bray Road Beast, there's there's people who are fascinated by werewolves, so you're going to have those people. I don't think there is an existing community of like Thunderbird enthusiasts. I mean, there might be, but, but <laughs> um, it was a strange decision on my part. But um, yeah, it's um, it, it was it was mostly just my interest in the stories I was hearing coming out of the state of Illinois, especially the '40s Alton, Illinois flap. Um, by the way, for, for listeners, I'm not making a joke. Flap is like uh, what they call a concentrated 
series of sightings of one phenomenon in in one area, um, geographical area. They call it a flap. I'm not really sure why, and typically it relates to UFOs, but apparently it's humorous to do it when it relates to birds as well. Um, so, so yeah, the the it was it was really interesting to me that you had these three sort of central um, sighting waves that happened in Illinois. Um, in the 40s, you had these sightings of what people called Big Bird, um, and this was prior to Sesame Street, so they coined it. Um, but, <laughs> but it was like it was it was those sightings, and then in this in 1977, it was the Lawndale, Illinois sightings, and now today. Uh, starting in 2017 and up till today, it's the sightings of what they're calling the Chicago Mothman or the Chicago Phantom. And, um, you know, all three of those are large winged cryptids. Um, so, so the idea was, well, why don't we do a movie that sort of um, jumps from, from each of the big three waves while also using that as a taking off point to really explore winged cryptids on the whole uh, within the state of Illinois. And then, you know, as as usually happens with with small town monsters work, um, the 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 meat and potatoes of the movie sort of came came together during the edit. Um, you know, like we didn't go into this with the with the plan of sort of telling this this story geographically, um, but but it came together so well in the edit that way. So the, the movie sort of split into three sections. Um, beginning in southern Illinois and then moving to central Illinois and then moving to northern Illinois. And the, the, the reason is that the, the, uh, anyone who's been to Illinois knows that it is like a, it, it drastically changes from one extreme to the other, from, from northern Illinois to southern Illinois. Um, you know, central Illinois is like the flattest sort of uh, prototypical Midwest look you can imagine but southern Illinois is like being in the deep south or something there's mountains and, and rolling hills and rivers and deep forests and all that kind of stuff and then northern Illinois is comprised of like large swamps um, some dense forest but usually small pockets of it uh, and then three very large cities um, one of those being Chicago, which takes up about like I think like one fourth of the of the acreage in northern Illinois. Um, so so we we split the movie into these three ch- chunks, you know, and, and each chunk of the movie sort of explores um, a different winged cryptid and their uh, the sightings that happen that sort of correspond to, to those creatures. And and uh, Southern Illinois is my favorite part of the movie. Um, Probably because it's got it's got the Piasol and it's got Alton. But my favorite, um, you know, my favorite sequence in the movie is is right at the beginning of of the Central Illinois section when we explore the the Lawndale incident from the 1970s. Um, and you know, it, like I said, it goes beyond just Thunderbirds. I mean, I would say at least uh, one third or more of the movie is devoted to Thunderbirds. It's probably more. It's probably like two thirds of the movie is devoted to Thunderbirds. But there's you know, like we go into sightings of what appear to be like sort of prehistoric uh, pterodactyl type creatures, and uh, obviously the Chicago Mothman as well. Um, so we we try to do sort of a um, you know uh, where most of our movies are are one small localized case, you know, like the Flatwoods Monster or the Mothman. Um, this is not that. This is a look at the phenomena as a whole. 
rather than just like one or two cases. So that was kind of fun for us because we got to explore the subject of the of the film on a much larger scale than some of our others, and then figure out how to make that all sort of come together. Um, and I I think we did a I think we did a good job of it. Like the, the some of Santino's work, especially like the FX work he did, was was really cool. Um, and it's always fun to see like what what your artists and the animators and everyone are going to do with with the new subject matter. So I was excited coming into this one to see what everyone would do with like the winged cryptid thing. Well, I, I agree. I, I think as I already said, the documentary is incredibly well put together, and it was very compelling. And, and just on the compelling part, uh, the the sequence that stood out to me, mm-hmm. and I agree with you, it absolutely hooked me is the uh the marlin low uh lawndale case um could you just tell us a little bit about that so yeah i'm not just skirting around and people kind of have an idea of why i'm so impressed with this aspect sure yeah and and you know like um one thing worth noting about the the marlin low cases um so earlier in the movie we talk about how there was a boy in missouri who was carried off by what what seemed to be a golden eagle or some sort of massive eagle um in the late 1800s early 1900s i've since found out there was another case from the early 1900s in illinois not far from lawndale of a little girl i I believe it was being carried off by a large bird as well so so yeah both of those kind of lead into the the lawndale case which happened in 1977 in lawndale illinois um there were there was a uh family outside there were three three little boys were playing outside of their home um in lawndale um i believe they were like by a waiting pool or something like that there the the boy's mother um and at least one or two other parents were in the house um and they were they were talking, and the kids were outside playing. The kids are outside playing, and they see these two birds sort of coming down Kickapoo Creek, which runs directly behind their house. Um, they come up over a tree line, and then sort of begin swarming around these two kids and uh, or these three kids. And eventually, one of them swoops down and picks up uh, a little boy named Marlon Lowe, who was I, b- I believe he was seven at the time. I can't remember exactly. I know he weighed about 70 pounds. Um, so this bird like swoops down, picks up Marlin in its talons, and starts to fly off with him. And it was struggling, you know, per per their sort of like their, their recollection of what happened. The witnesses, um, it it the other bird took off. This bird struggling to carry him carries him about 50 feet. By this point, um, Marlin's mother has seen what's happening. She rushes outside. And she starts screaming and flailing around at this bird. The bird drops Marlin, and um, the the two birds sort of take off. They actually attempted to roost in a nearby tree, but they were so heavy uh, that the tree was like bending over. So the two the two birds took off and flew off. Um, and you know you would think that would be the end of it, but but naturally, uh, just like the Alton Big Bird settings, like that that actually is sort of the point where the, the entire wave kicks off. So um, at that point, um, Marlin uh, and his mother become sort of media sensations because all the media around the country starts covering the story. I, th- I believe what happened is that the local Lawndale paper or Lincoln Illinois paper covered their story, and then that story hit the AP. And then once it hit the AP, Chicago came and covered it, and then it 
like blew up. Like if you do a, I have a newspapers.com subscription. If you do a newspapers.com uh, search for Marlon Lowe's name, um, it's insane. There's like 5,000 search results that pop up. Like every paper oh in the country God. was covering this story. So after it gets covered uh, nationally, other people around the, the central Illinois Lawndale area start seeing two large birds that match the same description um, as those seen by the, the lows. And, you know, like the weird thing about the low encounter, obviously beyond the fact that a bird tried to pick up and carry a, a little kid is the fact that they seem to match the description of like Andean condors, um, meaning they're, they're very large um, black colored birds with like a white, uh, a white ruff around their, their neck. Um, and obviously Andean condors do not exist in, in the state of Illinois. Um, but that's what, um, that's what the Lowe's described. That's what the other witnesses that were present for the event described. And then that's what other residents of central Illinois began seeing as well. Um, so, so, you know, like there, there's this media sensation that lasts like two weeks in 1977 where all of a sudden um, everyone is seeing these two large birds flying around. And, you know, like when a local farmer uh, witnessed one of these things swoop down and pick up a pig, uh, another guy said he saw one uh, roost on top of a large telef- or a telephone pole and drop like a huge rat. Um, and then uh, eventually a guy named uh, John Huffer was tasked by a local uh, CBS affiliate. Um, he was a cameraman. They gave him a camera and told him to go out and get some footage of these Thunderbirds, naturally, as you would. Uh, so so John went out to like a, a lake, uh, Lake Shelbyville, and he, um, he was out on a boat, and he claimed to have captured footage of the Thunderbirds. And uh, you can actually see the footage in in our movie and it's it's really well known footage um and and it's fairly easy to find online the cool thing for me was talking to john uh he's still alive and i i spoke to him um he also sent me the camera that he shot the footage with um so i so i had that and i actually ended up donating that to the uh, cryptozoology museum and then he gave me the original film negatives so so the wow. footage, yeah, so so that was kind of cool. Now, what having said that, you know, like, what his footage appears to be of is is two large turkey vultures. That's my own personal opinion. That's the opinion of a lot of people. Um, but there are those who believe, you know, that the footage is of something much larger than a turkey vulture. So what, what Marlon Lowe claimed to see would have been um, something with a 15-foot wingspan or larger, um, and it would have had to be so. So the way birds work is they have to be able to um, they can pick up to two times their body weight. So if Marlin's seventy pounds, this bird had to weigh like one forty, um, not two times their body weight. It can pull that. That would be insane. Uh, they they can pick up to <laughs> half half their body weight. That's what it is. So. Uh, You'd have like you'd, you'd have like fourteen fourteen pound eagles carrying off kittens and stuff. Um, but yeah, no this this <laughs> thing had to have been like one hundred and forty pounds, whatever picked him up. Um, just just based on how birds work. Um, so and you know, like again, there's there's nothing that we know that is that large. But apparently, in nineteen seventy seven, people were seeing something that sort of seemed to be that large. And see, that's what's so interesting to me about it is because 
I, I think misidentification is very easy, especially with a bird. You know, it, it's hard to judge scale and whatnot when it's in the sky. I mean, that was the same thing I had with that that footage from John was that there's not a lot to judge scale off of. Yeah, they look like giant birds, but, mm-hmm. you know, we can't get a proper proportion on them. Uh, but with Marlin, why, why would somebody make that up? You know, why would somebody knowingly go to the press and, and put themselves in that situation? Because any, any person in their right mind knows that they're going to be ridiculed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Knows that this is going to be... Yeah, yeah, and, I, and to, that's to, what's compelling to me about it. Sure, and to stick to that story for for you know a couple decades now. I mean, a few decades that that the, the family stuck to that story. I mean, um, you know, and they they received nothing but ridicule for coming forward with that story, including like t- to this day. I was in Lawndale to film you know B roll of the town, and while we were there, in the short period of time we were there, some guy came rolling up on a on a jazzy to tell me about how the lows were drunks and no one should believe anything they say and all this stuff. So, I mean, like they, they suffered ridicule at the time and, uh, I don't think it, I don't think it ever stopped. I think it's an ongoing, an ongoing thing, you know, like, and I think that, I think there's something to be said about, I, I feel like that, that the lows are sort of a microcosm from, for, for witnesses, uh, in general, you know, like they're, the, 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 most of the witnesses that I've encountered, um, th- they have nothing to gain by coming forward with an encounter story, and and most of the time they don't want attention. They're not seeking attention. Um, you know, attention sort of finds them. That's not to say that there aren't witnesses or, or people claiming to be witnesses who who hoax and make up stories because there definitely are. But but a lot of the times there there isn't much to gain for a witness for for coming forward. You know, with what they claim was a true true event. Right, and you know, earlier in this episode, I actually divulged uh, a time that I saw something, and it's actually the first time I ever divulged it. So that's that's what's compelling to me is the fact that these people are willingly putting themselves in this situation, and in this case, really stood out to me, mm-hmm. and, it, and it made me question, you know, because automatically the myth of the Thunderbird is interesting to me, and the stories are always interesting. But that that case in particular is the one that made me kind of question it. What could it be? You know, if, if this is true, what could it be? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's um, it's also the fact that there are so many other witnesses that start seeing these birds, and they all sort of match that initial, you know, dis- those initial descriptions. Um, I, I've always thought that, and, and what's really interesting about that too is that their their description does not match what a thunderbird is considered to be. You know, like thunderbirds traditionally are thought of as sort of large, uh, maybe eagle. You know, like a, a, a raptor like that, not a uh, not a condor. Right. Um, the condor description is so bizarre because of the fact that you know you, you almost then you start to wonder. Well, maybe there was like someone had exotic pets and they got loose. Um, you know, obviously that wouldn't explain away how, how they managed to pick up a small child, but how on earth would, would so many people around that same time have these descriptions of the same, you know, almost the exact same thing that the Lowe's described seeing. And again, like most of these people that came forward with their, their sightings weren't looking for attention. They, they, their stories tended, tended to, um, make their way into the paper, uh, 
through like the local police. People would see something reported to the police, and then the police would tell the paper about it. So, um, you know, like it's a it's a really that that seventy seven flaps really really intriguing. Um, I think the forties Alton flap is really intriguing too, and then obviously the the Chicago uh, the Chicago stuff brings its own you know particular set of of strange events. Well, you you mentioned it, and I have to admit, again, you, you opened my eyes. I knew nothing about the Chicago Mothman, and the fact that your your documentary kind of ends on that was mind-boggling to me, because obviously, like anyone in this field, not cryptozoology even, just kind of the horror subgenre or anything like that, you're, you're kind of aware of the Mothman myth in Point Pleasant and the whole thing. I mean, Richard Gere did a movie about it, for God's sakes. Mm -hmm. So the fact that something like this is going on even in 2017 in Chicago mm -hmm. was mind-boggling to me. Yeah, it's a it's a bizarre... See I, see, I was like very aware of it because of the fact that we were actually accused of hoaxing it. Um, when because in two thousand really? yeah two thousand seventeen is when our Mothman movie came out, and we began getting um, phone calls and emails from newspapers and uh, various like web publications that were wanting to know if it was a publicity stunt for our uh, independent <laughs> documentary <laughs> that that had no marketing budget. <laughs> Um, like somehow we had we had organized this really elaborate uh, series of hoaxes in the city of Chicago to promote a movie based in West Virginia. But um, <clears throat> so like I became I started following it around that same time because I was really intrigued by it. Um, hilariously enough, we 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 did leave that little bit of information out of the documentary, which is is funny. But um, yeah, it's a it's a really it's a really strange um, series of reports. Um, you know, and, and I have my own sort of opinions on the Chicago happenings. Um, Tobias Wayland is sort of our guide through that particular uh, topic of the film. Um, but the thing that stands, that sort of sets the Chicago stuff apart from the other two um, is the fact that, that people are, like, researchers and investigators are sharply divided into two camps on it. Like, it, one camp is 100% this is real, it's a it's a phenomenon that is happening, and the other camp is 100% that this is a hoax and a misidentification and a con job, um, you know, to sort of create a media sensation around something that doesn't exist. So, um it's a really it's a really interesting topic because it's very different in a way from the other two, which seem to sort of be rooted in, you know, in in some sort of reality. It, they they either were rooted in you know misidentification of a known bird or or where there really was like something flying around in 1977, 1948. With the Chicago flap, it's like there it's either a hoax or it's a misidentification or it's like you know like one particular researcher trying to make money off of a book. Um, there's all there's all these really different uh, trains of thought on what is happening in Chicago right now, and um, you know like personally, I don't think you can simply explain away every single um, sighting report out of Chicago, um, but but um, I do find it uh, I do find it sort of like suspicious that there are so few um, uh, witness names that are out there, but I think a large part of that. Um, 
Because just to draw a comparison, like Alton, the 1940s Alton flap and the the 1977 Lawndale flap, you can kind of look through the record and find names of all those witnesses. Like I think we actually name a lot of the right. witnesses in our in our film. Like when we're when we're talking about these sightings, we aren't just saying like this this random this rando here in, in central Illinois had a sighting of a <laughs> of a thunderbird. It's like we give names and stuff for a lot of these people or at least occupations. Um, with the Chicago flap, what is suspicious is that you you've got a lot of a lot of that sort of like an anonymous source says they saw this an anonymous you know witness says they saw this but at the same time maybe maybe you're just looking at the fact that you know like things have things have gotten a lot um hairier today when you when you want to come forward with a with a sighting of something like this so maybe people are just much less uh willing to come forward with their their real names you know when they're reporting their encounters it's it's hard to say but it is a it is a really fascinating story and it's ongoing like it's still ongoing today i think there was just a sighting in the last couple of weeks actually wow uh that's that's just mind-boggling to me <laughs> um but real quick here before i let you go mm-hmm. i i know you're a very very busy man Seth. so I, i'm just kind of curious um i i know this one's about to hit but what do you have lined up, or what would you like to to uh, kind of sink your teeth into next? Yeah, we're we're scheduled out through twenty twenty. Um, so we've got uh, we already oh, shot wow. um, Momo the Missouri Monster, which comes out in September, very late September, very early October of this year, um, and that is our sort of love letter to nineteen seventies grindhouse and drive drive in movies. Um, and we're we're really oh, you've already sold me. Yeah, we're really excited about that one. We actually like <laughs> so it's sort of a um it's hard to explain how it is, but imagine um Rashomon if instead of simply seeing like various retellings of the same story over and over, you were watching a drive in movie um that is then contradicted. A drive-in movie that is a, a based on a real event that is then contradicted by interviews with the people who are actually a part of the real event. So that's kind of like what we're doing. We made it. We made an actual like drive-in Bigfoot movie, um, and then it'll be sort of set the setting the record straight with the documentary, um, and the the two will sort of meld together seamlessly. Yeah, it's going to be really. It's going to be really cool. Um, and then let me think what's after that okay so we got that and then we start filming on the trail of UFOs in a couple weeks uh, and that will be out in v- probably like very late next year 2020 um, and then so our next project after Momo will be the Mothman Legacy which is our follow up to the uh, Mothman and Point Pleasant um, and that will be a much deeper dive into Appalachian uh, folklore and folktale um, as well as uh, a look at some of the specifics of the Men in Black uh, and UFO involvement in the Mothman sightings in 1966 and 1967. Um, and then uh, the movie after that will be The Mark of the Bell Witch, which is our look at the Ooh. Bell Witch case from, from Adams, Tennessee. Wow. That, I think that uh, covers yeah, it. Incredibly busy and... <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I, I'm very interested in all of those, actually. 
Yeah, we're we're pumped. Next year is actually the five year anniversary of Small Town Monsters, so we're trying to we're trying to make it sort of the banner year, the biggest the biggest we've you know the biggest prod projects we've done, and hopefully you know like we're always trying to up our game from a production standpoint and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully we're continuing to do that as well. Well, it definitely seems like you you most certainly are. So, uh, Seth, thank you so much, um, everyone out there. Make sure you check out uh, Small Town Monsters um, and Terror in the Skies. I know you may not be sold on the whole Giant Birds, Thunderbirds thing. Trust me, check this documentary out. It is worth your time, and it might actually change your perception of it. Uh, It should be out now, and um, it's available digitally and on DVD. So, like I said, check out Small Town Monsters. Make sure you support these guys, and... uh, yeah, Seth, thank you so much for your incredibly busy time. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, it was it was an honor. Thank you so much.
That was horrible. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.